We started this series, this is the third Sunday, and we started in Psalm 77, where we find the psalmist at a very low point, discouraged, depressed, complaining in a godly way to the Lord. We call that lament. Then last week we looked at Psalm 13, and David moved us through the process of lament, which ends in trust. And we are looking at this psalm as well, Psalm of David. But as we find David today, the trials have not changed, but his perspective right from the beginning is one of hope, confidence, and trust. And that is really the, the picture from Psalm 13 as how long, O Lord, how long, how long, discouragement, even depression, to sometimes days when you get up and you're like, I can do this, and, and, and God is good, and I believe that with all my heart, and I trust him, and it's hard, and it's difficult, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going even as I wait. And we spend a lot of, of our lives waiting, and it really is one of the hardest things I was trying to, I was even thinking maybe, we already showed a couple videos, so I wasn't going to show a third one today, but of, of a little child that was waiting for something that they just, you know, you get that picture in your mind of, of something they're excited about or uh, they're able to do, uh, and yet they're, they're sitting there waiting and they're antsy and they're fidgety and, and it's so difficult. But as adults, we many times maybe... Some of us probably fidget, but uh, we're, we're more inward in, in, in our anxiety and we get stressed at times like that. And we spend a lot of time waiting. And, and uh, if you traveled at all this summer, you probably spent some time waiting in an airport as uh, the delays mounted up and the cancellations mounted up. It was, seemed like it was a very unique season uh, with the lack of pilots, the mechanical issues, and just a general mess of, of things coming out of uh, the COVID pandemic. But you probably spent a lot of time, even, even in a transfer, uh, going from one connection to another, and maybe even experienced a cancellation of a flight, and you're just absolutely stuck. And you find yourself waiting, trying not to get frustrated. Perhaps you remember a time when you were on the interstate, and you experienced a traffic jam, and it was the middle of summer, and you have many kids, and they're, uh, they're wanting to get out of the car, and it's difficult and hard, but... But really, there is no place to go. It's just a simple standstill. Sometimes it's something for fun. You're getting ready for an event, and there's masses of people, and, and you just literally have to sit there and wait your turn. I read this week that human beings spend approximately six months of their lives waiting in line for things. Think about that. Six months of your life will be spent, on average, Waiting in line. So those of you who have your favorite coffee place in the morning and you stand and you wait, just remember those minutes are just adding up. You're sitting at that stoplight or whatever it is. We wait and we wait and wait. Sometimes it's a little more personal and the waiting gets a little bit difficult because it involves a person. Um, perhaps you're a college student and uh, you have a roommate that you're not particularly fond of. And it's only the first part of the semester. And you know you have to go a whole year with this person. And uh, you're not sure how long you're going to be able to handle that. Or perhaps it's uh, a different kind of a relationship that you desire and God hasn't provided yet. Perhaps you're a single person. 
and you have a desire to be married, but as you see life and what is in front of you right now, there aren't many prospects on the horizon. And so you find yourself day after day in a season of waiting. Maybe you are married and you're waiting on a spouse to get their act together. Or maybe you're waiting on a child and a relationship to be restored or for God to work in their life. And, and so the days turn into months and the months turn into years and the frustration is difficult and hard. Maybe it's a job situation where you find yourself kind of in a dead-end job, but you know you have to pay the bills, but it's not something you enjoy, so you show up every day, but it is a, it is a chore just to get there and just to get through it. Or maybe you have a difficult coworker or a difficult boss, and there's no end in sight. So God has you specifically in this place, and you have to deal with it, and you have to just be patient, and you have to wait on the Lord. Waiting is part of life, and it's difficult. In general, when things are good, it's hard to wait. But when things are bad, it's even more difficult to wait. And so David here today gives us example of what it looks like to wait on the Lord. And he testifies to this in verse 5. He says, for you, speaking to God, I will wait all the day long. All day long. Throughout every season, David says, I will wait on the Lord. That's the theme of the passage this morning. Would you take your Bibles there and let's read a portion of it together, at least here at the beginning, and uh, we'll start to make some comments along these lines. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed, do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You find that word waiting in verse 3 when he says that none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Verse 5 he says, as I mentioned For you I wait all the day long. Verse 21, he as well says, For you, or for I wait for you. At the end of this psalm, it kind of, uh, it's a little bit of a bookend for us. Now, it's interesting, those of you who are more technical and and like to know some of the, uh, the more technical details about translation, this psalm actually represents the Hebrew alphabet. So every verse is, is, is the beginning, is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You can look that up and uh, maybe study some more along those lines. But this is a biblical lament, and it helps us understand, again, the pathway from where we are to where we should go. Uh, it has all the same aspects, somewhat in a little bit different order than last week's psalm. But it typically, a lament includes an address to God, a complaint to the Lord, a godly complaint. We're not murmuring those kinds of things with the heart, but it, it's literally just laying out before the Lord how we're feeling. It's a request for help and also an expression of trust. And we find that right there in the beginning in verse 1, where he says, 
To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O God, in whom I trust. In you I trust. So last week, we found him kind of in that season of how long, O Lord, how long, how long, and then ending with that expression of trust. We find that his heart here right from the beginning is to trust in Yahweh, the covenant God, the great I am. To you, I lift up my soul. I will trust in you. He seems to be, from what I can gather from this passage, in a pretty good perspective. Again, same circumstances, same difficulties, but emotionally feeling pretty well. He's still going to explain the difficulties in this passage. He's going to give the requests of of those petitions to the Lord of what he would like to see the Lord do on his behalf. But we see him trusting right from the beginning. And I think this is helpful because sometimes even when you are going through a season of discouragement or a season of depression, as we've been talking about it, you don't feel the same every single day. It's not like, some people do, I guess I I don't want to be dogmatic, but I guess as I have experienced it, some days you feel better than others, and some day you're more confident than others. And we find David here, I think right from the beginning, confident in his God. Are there days where you feel stronger than others? Yes, I believe so. Again, the circumstances are exactly the same. What are these circumstances? Well, he he gives some description for us in this text. In verse 2, he talks about his enemies. He says, do not let my enemies exalt over me. Verse 3, he says, there are those who deal treacherously with me. Verse 7, he's got his own heart to deal with. He says, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11, pardon my iniquity for it is great. Verse 16 through 18, he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. He felt these same things last time as we looked at Psalm 13, the loneliness, the affliction, the enemies. He says in verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Again, his circumstances have not changed. The troubles of his heart, they are still there. And they are enlarged. In in some sense, they've gotten bigger. Bring me out of my distress. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. And again, in verse 19, he talks about his enemies. So again, these circumstances that David has experienced, and we don't know, as I mentioned last week, we don't know exactly the time and place that each one of these psalms were written in regards to the hardship and trial that he was experiencing because his life was full of those moments and times. And and so we just know that in general, The trials were there, the hardships were there, the enemies were there, his own flesh was a part of his struggle and his his wrong choices, his foolish choices, and, and his loneliness and affliction, he still carries that with him. But he is confident in his God. So this morning, I want to just, from this psalm, point out some things to help us learn how to wait well. Are you in a season of waiting? Most likely, The majority of us are. We have a circumstance in our life that is difficult on some level. We talked about that scale, 1 to 10. And there's something happening or something that we want to see happen in our lives, in our circumstances. We've gone to the Lord with it over and over. And for some reason, the Lord has said to wait. And I think it's hard for us 
to wait well. I was, one reason why I picked that video of Johnny, I was, can you imagine the waiting that she has experienced since the age of 17? And I saw her this week with that same sweet spirit communicate just God's faithfulness and his love and, and how this has been such a gift to her. But imagine the day in, day out process of waiting. And some of you are there. And you're going through it. And this passage of scripture equips us to do it well. We want to honor the Lord even in our hardships, even in our trials, even in our waiting. So I think from the passage, from David's example, the first thing we need to to learn as we learn to wait well is that we must direct our attention to God. We need to constantly direct our attention to God. We see that in verse 1. I read it. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. He basically says, I am directing my affections to you. I am giving you my heart. As Johnny said, she's telling her heart, this is the direction you're going to go. So as we learn to wait, we say to our heart, we will look to our God. My eyes, he says in verse 15, you can look at it there. It says, my eyes are continually toward the Lord. In the waiting process, David encourages us to constantly direct our attention to God, even when the waiting is maddening. And the temptation is for us to focus on ourselves, right? We want to do a couple things in our waiting. We want to focus on ourselves and how we feel and what we're experiencing. And I could go on and on about that. That's a temptation. Or the temptation is to focus on the circumstances and the anxiety that that can produce. Okay, if this happens, then this could happen, this could happen, and, but this is happening, so this is happening, and we just constantly mull around our circumstances and, and, and all the what-ifs enter into our thoughts. And We need to replace our anxiety and the stress that comes in the waiting with worship. That's what God desires. He wants us to get our perspective off ourselves and our circumstances and continually direct our perspective to him. David says, to you, O Lord, I direct my attention. You have my affections. The New Testament tells us to set our affections on things that are above, which means that we have to make the choice in our heart to pursue our God, even when it is difficult And when it is hard. I would suggest number two, part of this, setting our affections, is to rehearse the nature of God. Rehearse the nature of God. Look at verse 5. He starts to just combine these attributes and these these thoughts about God in his psalm and in his prayer. He says in verse 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. He knows that God is a savior. God is his salvation. He goes on to say, for you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. He rehearses who God is and how he acts. He's a compassionate God. He's a loving, kind God. He's full of mercy. Look at verse 8. 
Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Again, rehearsing the nature of God. And I think God's goodness is one of the hardest things to rehearse when we're going through the hardship. We can mentally get to the place where we know God is great. He's the all-powerful God. We can open the Bible and we can read story after story of how he did these amazing things. We can get there intellectually and even believe it in our heart. God is able to do everything. But sometimes in our waiting, the hardest part to get to as far as God's nature is concerned is his goodness. That if he is good, why has he allowed this thing to happen in my life or my family's life? And that's where we have to get our mind to continue meditate on who he is and, and really what he has revealed about himself and trust his word. Trust that he actually is good and that he has purposes in all of these things. It may not make sense to us. The timetable certainly doesn't. But his goodness does not change. He is a good God. So we tell our heart that. We meditate it and meditate on that and we rehearse it over and over and over. He is good. We rehearse the nature of God. The end of the psalm in verse 22 says that he is able to redeem. Our God is a redeemer. He has redeemed our lives. He can redeem even the most broken situation. Now, it may not end up looking long-term how we want it to look or how we dreamed it would look, but he is able to redeem and make his purposes and his glory seen even in the most broken situation. So it's his nature that we must focus on. We direct our attention to him and we meditate and we rehearse who he is and what he is like. He is a kind, compassionate God. He is full of goodness. Our community groups this year are even studying the attributes of God. If you're not a part of one, I would even maybe encourage you to jump in one. If this is something that, that could be of a, a real help to you, just to weekly get together with God's people and talk about the attributes of God. Rehearse his nature. Number three, I would suggest petition the Lord to work. Again, in these psalms, they're prayers. They're lament prayers where they take uh, really our raw emotion, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, and we lay it all out before the Lord. And there is a confidence today in this passage that David's positions are, he, he's hopeful, he's expecting God to work. And, and, and that's where we, we sometimes are in our, our daily struggle in these hard times. We believe and, and, and our faith is strong and we go to the Lord and we believe that he is able. He talks about in verse 2 and 3, he says, Do not let uh, me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, uh, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. He is hopeful. If he waits on the Lord, the Lord will take care of him. He is confident in the protection of God. Look at verse 19 and 20. It says, Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Remember, David's circumstances have not changed. His enemies are great, and they hate him with violence. 
Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. He is praying for the protection in the midst of these hard times. Now, you may not have a physical enemy that you are facing, unless you do have that difficult boss or maybe that hard roommate or, or maybe that really difficult child. But in, in your, you know, you're sometimes tempted to view them as your enemy. And maybe because of the way they're treating you, they feel that way. But perhaps it's just the general enemy, the evil one that we have that wants to destroy our lives and you feel it on a daily basis where you know the pressure is so great, he literally is trying to take you out. And David's request is, do not let that happen. Do not let me be ashamed. And this word ashamed is, is more of not necessarily an inward thing. It's a public shaming. That if, if God were to allow the enemies to win, then, the, then this person publicly, David publicly would be shamed. But God, in a sense, would be shamed as well. God, don't let my ex- enemies exalt over me. He brings his prayers of protection to the Lord. As well, I would suggest we see that he asks for direction. When you don't know what to do, you ask. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord. David here, in verse 4, it says, Make me know your ways. Do you see the urgency and the intensity of these petitions and the confidence in them? God, make me know your way. Make me know your path. Teach me your paths. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Look at verse 9. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. Verse 12, he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way in which he should choose. When you lack direction... When you don't know where to go next, you keep asking the Lord with confidence. David didn't know many times what to do in this, in this trial. He knew what his heart wanted to do and what his flesh wanted to do. But he petitioned the Lord and he asked the Lord to help him. If you're not sure what what move to make, I would suggest sometimes it just involves waiting and asking God to reveal it, to make it clear. So you keep directing your attention to the Lord, you keep worshiping, whether you feel like it or not. And you keep rehearsing who God is and what his nature is and how kind he is and compassionate, what he's able to do. And then you constantly bring your requests before the Lord. I would suggest the third thing that I see here. And there's actually 21 requests. I'm kind of grouping them together. And as we, we're not necessarily going verse by verse today. We're kind of, I'm trying to clump it together in a, in a real helpful passion in regards to waiting. But we see here support. Look at verse 6. He says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for, you, for they have been from old. Remember, Lord, I know this about you. Would you be compassionate towards me? I know you to be a loving, kind God, which really is that idea of mercy. I know you to be merciful. Would you please grant mercy during this moment? Look at verse 16. He says there, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and I am afflicted. God, 
please support me. Turn to me. Support me in this moment and support me with your grace. He petitions the Lord not only for protection from those who are opposing him. He, he not only petitions the Lord for direction, not knowing where to go or what to do, but he also asks the Lord to just support him as he waits. God, be gracious to me as I wait on you. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. It says there, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. Man, that's, that's a wonderful thought, right? God, in all of his majesty, in all of his otherness, in his holiness, in his grandeur, that would, to some who don't know him, cause fear and trembling because they're scared of the majesty, but if you're his child, you know that, that there's acceptance and you, are, you, are, you have a position in Christ and he loves you and there's no condemnation and so you run to the throne of grace. That's how you see the majestic throne of God. It is a throne of grace and you run there. And when you run there with confidence because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not something that you have done or something that you have earned. My friend, if you don't know Jesus today, would you turn to him because he provides for, for you what you cannot provide for yourself, and that is you cannot save yourself. You cannot provide salvation. You are a sinner just like I am, separated from the glory of God, and there's only one person who can accomplish and did accomplish for us the work that is needed, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you come to know him, when you come to trust him, he invites you into his family, and you are adopted son or daughter of God, and you are accepted in the beloved. And when you are accepted, that throne of majesty, and even in some ways horror to some who don't know him, becomes a throne of mercy and grace and a place where you can run to for comfort. And we run with confidence. And he says, when you come, what you will find is grace. The support that you need to handle the waiting process that is maddening sometimes. The grace that you need is found in him. And so we keep running to the Father. And some days it's more like crawling because that's what you feel like doing. But some days you're that confident. It's not good, but you believe in a sovereign God and what he's doing. And so you run there. And when you run, what you will find is grace. Scripture says he gives grace to the humble so we don't run in pride, shaking our fists or fingers at God saying, why this and why that? We run to him saying, God, I submit, but I need you. And as he says there in the verse, turn to me. Turn your attention to me, God. I need your grace. We petition the Lord we ask him for help. Suggests the fourth thing while we wait is to continually look at our hearts. Confessing our sins before a holy God. 
We need to continually deal with our sin. Now, I realize hard situations are not always because of our sin. I mean, you can't look at Johnny's accident and say, well, she was in sin, and so God allowed her back, her back to her neck to break. And say, no, Please hear my heart on that. However, there are times, and I think you understand it as well as I do, there are times when it's our own sin and it's our own mess that we made. And David is a great example of this. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at this more specifically in one of the Psalms and just coming to God in times of need because of our own sin and the discouragement and the depression that can come because of what we have done. But David does, in this verse, in this psalm, he does mention it. In verse 7, he says, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. And then as well, in verse 11, he straight up says, Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And that's current as he's writing. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Verse 18, he says there, Look upon my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David still understands that he is a broken mess in the midst of all this. And he doesn't always get it right. Sometimes he he really blows it, which is really where we live, where I live. We blow it over and over and over. Our sinfulness should be something that we regularly evaluate. Before a holy God. I realize the finished work of Christ has taken care of it, has paid for it. But I firmly believe living a life of repentance and keeping our our sin current and in confession before the Lord as it talks about in 1 John. Living that life of repentance. And David here is in the midst of his confidence in God and his trust in God's mercy. He's still evaluating his own heart and saying, please forgive me. I realize I am sinful. My sins are great. So I think as we wait, we must constantly be honest about ourselves. Sometimes our complaint does turn into murmuring. Sometimes we aren't humble. We are shaking our fists, maybe not physically, but in our hearts, in pride, saying, God, why did you do this? Sometimes our faith is so small, we question the truth that he has revealed about himself and his goodness, and we doubt him. And we need to constantly say to the Lord the same thing he says about our hearts. God, I miss it here. I have fallen short of your glory here. I am sinful here. And so we petition the Lord, and we confess to the Lord. And then I would suggest number five. How do we wait well? We trust the Lord through the journey. It's interesting, some of the wordings that he uses, he talks about the way a few times. He talks about the path. Really describing the journey of of life and the journey of hardship and the journey of trials. And when you are waiting, it literally feels like a journey. You know, when you take a trip with young kids and you're just pulling out of the neighborhood or maybe you've just gotten out of town and you're hitting the interstate and the questions start coming up, how long till we get there? How much further is it? We ask those questions pretty quickly to our God. 
And sometimes it's just a matter of trust in the journey. I was speaking to someone on Friday about the things that they were dealing with and struggling with, and and she literally looked at me and she said, we are taking it a day at a time, literally. We are taking it a day at a time, literally. And so, what do we do every day? According to this text, we're supposed to trust. We're supposed to trust. Verse 3 says, those who wait will not be ashamed. Verse 9, he leads the humble in the ways of justice and he teaches the humble his way. And so there's this confidence that, that he will teach. He will protect. Verse 12, it says that he will instruct him. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him. That describes a heart of trust. The Lord will instruct you. It may not be for the clarity in the situation, but if you're using the word as his communication to you, he will instruct you on how to live. And by the way, that's how he communicates to us today. So we open up his word and he teaches us, he instructs us. Verse 13, he's confident. His soul will abide in prosperity. And you're like, oh, give me some of that prosperity. I'm, I'm lacking that. We're, we're talking more in general of the prosperity of the soul and the ultimate prosperity that everything is okay. And the psalmist is confident. Even though his enemies seem like they are going to exalt over him, everything ultimately will be okay. Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And notice again, and he will make them know his covenant. Confidence, trust are throughout this whole psalm. He believes that God is going to act. Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And and really there's a better translation. It's better to really understand this is the idea of the counsel of the Lord but it really portrays God's friendship to us and it's his intimacy that is involved here and that his presence is with us. So the presence of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he continues on, he will make known to him the covenant. So there's this continual confidence. In verse 15, he will pluck my feet out of the net. If you don't know what to pray and and trust to our God, pray pray these very words of the psalm this week. God, you will pluck my my feet out of this net. God, you will make me know your counsel, your presence. You will teach me in the way. I trust you because you will act. David is confidence in the Lord's action. And then he concludes it, redeem, O Israel, O God, out of his troubles. And he's confident from a communal perspective. He goes from individual to the communal perspective at the end here. Redeem, O Israel, God, I expect you to work on behalf of your people. So let me ask you, are you waiting well? 
as you experience the day-in, day-out hardship, you may find yourself on the 1 to 10 scale, you're at a 2 or 3, and, and, and you find yourself getting really frustrated, and you're at a 2, and then you look at a video, and you're like, whoa, my suffering could be a lot more. And I'm frustrated with the bumps in, in my job, or, and I'm not trying to minimize those. But are you waiting well in the season of life that you find yourself in? And those of us who are on the other end of the scale, the five-plus scale, are you waiting well? In most days, I'm not, just being honest. But this is the way to do it. There's no quick formula. It's the continual process of running to our God, confident that he is going to work. Yeah, we still talk about what we're feeling. And we still lay out our petitions before him. But, but we, we believe. It may not end up how we envisioned it. But God is not going to let us go. He is going to ultimately take care of us. And we can trust him day in, day out, as we wait. Would you bow your heads as we just take a moment of reflection? And I would ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to help you evaluate how you're waiting today. Are you waiting well? And this text has given us five ways that you can actually really evaluate that honestly. So are you directing your attention to God on a regular basis? Are you rehearsing who he is and his nature and his attributes and and what he's revealed about himself? Are you... Instead of isolating and running from God, are you running to him with your petitions? Believing that he can protect and he can direct and he can support. Are you running to the throne of grace? Or are you running to someone to text them about your problems or calling them or whatever? Are you really being honest about your heart before God in this process? Acknowledge the fact, you know what? Sometimes the problem's us. And then are you continually bringing your heart under the able God that we have, believing and trusting that he will work? Take a moment to evaluate. God, our Father, thank you that you accept us. Thank you that you're sovereign over every aspect of our lives. 
thank you that your grace is sufficient and your mercy is plentiful. And you are on your throne dispensing grace today, and so we just come once again asking for it. Jesus, you're there as well. Thank you for accomplishing everything that we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you that you are interceding for us. Spirit of God, you live inside of us. You're strengthening us. You're convicting us. You're pointing us to the truth and helping us understand it. Thank you that we are not alone. God, for my brothers and sisters here today, I pray that this text will ring in our hearts all week long and we will wait well. God, help us to be able to manage our emotions from a biblical perspective. Help us to be diligent, to set our affections on you. Lord, help us to run to you. Help us to constantly think about who you are and what you've revealed about yourself. God, thank you that we're free to ask. God, thank you that you love us and you forgive us. God, we just, as a community of faith, stand together in the next couple minutes, ascribing to you these songs about what we believe about you and hopefully revealing hearts from your perspective that really show that we trust you. God, may you be praised, may you be glorified through our journey. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.